Thank you so much for tuning in to the Providence Community Podcast. We just, we pray today that God would do amazing things in your heart as you listen to this message. And uh, we ask for just the richest blessing on your family. And if you would like some more information about Providence Community Church, you can go to www.providencecommunity.org or you can also download our app in the App Store. We're so thankful that you tuned in and uh, we can't wait to celebrate all that God does in your life. Um, I, uh, let me tell you what, what uh, God put on my heart um, right from the outset so you understand what's happening. Okay, um, the, about six weeks ago, I preached a message on the fatherless generation and how the world needs fathers. Remember that? And uh, maybe some of you don't remember that because it, ne- it never got recorded. Um, and I, I'm not the kind of guy that sees a demon behind every loudspeaker. You know, sometimes if you're getting feedback, it's because the sound person or whatever. Um, but I also know that a, a real heaviness to speak the Father's heart to a generation, and then the model of that, which would be fathers in a generation, is one of the outcries of heaven in these days. And I know that the enemy would love to keep us entrenched in a religiosity and a theology where we actually serve in a free kingdom as slaves rather than the release of of sonship and daughtership onto God's kingdom people. And so this morning, um, man, I wrestled really hard um, on which word to bring, and my wife and Ethan saw me wrestling yesterday morning at my desk at home, and they both just came out and prayed for me. And as they lifted their hands off of me, it's just very clear that I want to revisit this message again about about the fatherlessness today. Let me continue to say this. I know this is hard. This isn't the kind of teaching or preaching where uh, you get to mine something up and and say, oh, wow, I never saw that before. That is nice. All right? This is the kind of uh, preaching and teaching where you're tearing down old systems and constructs that kept you in change, and you're you're beginning to fight for the, uh, the actual biblical ones. You're actually taking ground in a generation. And uh, that kind of, of preaching actually uh, gets all kinds of crazy artillery fire that you have to dodge on Monday, okay? But uh, this is just one, another one of those messages that despite the fire that I, I will take, we've got to go there, amen? Who's, who's for courage in ministry instead of just blending in with the world, right? So, so open your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 4. Uh, verse 6, and then I would like you to also kind of put a finger in, if you can, to, um, I don't know, let, let's try Matthew chapter 3. I've got so many verses this morning um, that if you remember this message six weeks ago, there's a lot of verses. We're going to be all over the place, and I'm going to be firing them out. Don't stress if you're, if you're not there with me. Just listen. They're going to be on the screen, too. But uh, I, let me pray this into our hearts. Heavenly Father, just pray for real uh, openness to what is actually true according to your word. We stand on your screen scriptures this morning, and we pray for uh, illumination of our spiritual eyes to see Father's heart, God. God, religion, we pray against, that would tell us that we're slaves instead of sons and daughters. And so, Lord, I just pray for a real crashing in, your truth to crash into our hearts, I pray, Father, and I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Guys, one of the verses just popped in my head. Um, do you know the verse that says that we're slaves to righteousness? 
okay? That's not an identity passage. That's talking what it's like to be, uh, we've, we've had a, a vow to righteousness. We're called to righteousness, but that's not an identity passage that says we're actually slaves in the kingdom. Identity is sons and daughters in the kingdom, and then we, we serve righteousness because it's our new nature, okay? Let's be biblical about that. But Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, listen to this, listen to this passage. It's so pretty. It's so uh, gorgeous, actually. Um, and let me find it. Wow. That, where is it? Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. And it says this. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. <laughs> There's so much there. But I want to I take this and I want to start with this because this is the, the framework that we have to have theologically to embrace the Father. Now let me read this one more time. Galatians chapter 4 verse 6. Because you are sons. In fact, let's back up here. Let's, let's be really biblical, all right? Men and women of the scriptures. Let's back up two verses. I don't want to go too crazy here, all right? But let's back up two verses to verse four. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth the son, born of woman, born under the law, verse five, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Does it say anything about so God can put a new yoke of slavery on you? But we talk like what God wants, God wants from us most is for us to serve him like slaves. Amen. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts crying, Abba, Father. Now guys, here's, here's, this, here's this truth that is shouting from scriptures that we need fresh eyes to see today. That what, what God has done is he's made us sons and daughters in his kingdom. And what shows that we are sons of da uh, and daughters of the king is the Holy Spirit that he's deposited into our hearts. And do you know what the Holy Spirit does according to God's word in this passage is the Holy Spirit cries, Daddy. So I'm at the place right now that uh, I'm concerned about how much slavery talk we're in. Um, a slave says, Heavenly Father, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to do? I'm yours. I, I'll do whatever you, I'll do, I'll do, I'll do. But sons and daughters who are princes and princesses in the kingdom operate from the bounty of the Father's heart and change the world from that perspective. I, I'm not so much concerned if cry terminology last year or last week, I talked about how I found my tears and there's uproar about that. Uproar, tears, emotionalism. I don't care if you think it's emotionalism because the Bible actually says what the Spirit does in a son's heart is cries. You can think it's emotionalism all you want, but I just pray for a crashing of the Father's heart that the Spirit would actually begin a cry in you. And actually what the Holy Spirit cries in a son or in a daughter is daddy. It's a cry of intimacy. I'm, I don't really care that it makes you feel weird. What that is, it's, it's you feeling discomfortable with the heresy you've been believing. It's God pulling you out of slavery and into sonship. And so I would actually say, God, if you've got something new for me, I want it. I want that. 
we've, we've since, we're, since crying feels weird and vulnerable, and since it's easier to be a slave than a son because it's more practical to be a slave. Okay, I've got, I've got all the things I've got to cross off. My to-do list today to be God's servant. It's more comfortable to be the slave than it is a son. But what concerns me the most is a theology that makes living as a slave in the land of the free legal. That's what concerns me. A theology that makes living as a slave in the free kingdom of the Father biblical. That's what concerns me. So if I lose friends over this one, I'm going to lose friends over this one. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to stand before God one day for what has come out of this mouth. And what's coming out of this mouth is God loves you with a reckless, relentless love, and he wants you as your daughter. He wants you as his son. He doesn't want you as a slave anymore. So I'll go to the bank on that one. Big time. So today I want to talk about... Um, the, uh, the, the heart of the father and a fatherless generation and how we're actually operating in a society that doesn't really know the heart of the father because of a wide variety of crazinesses. Do you know that my wife has a master's degree and that she did a, her master's thesis on the impact of the fatherless home on secular society? You know, she, she's smart. The impact of the fatherless home on society. So this isn't just a Christian principle. This is, this is a principle that, that impacts humanity. The, the humans were fashioned by God to operate with fathers and mothers on the scene. And this is how the kingdom operates. This is how society advances. When you start skewing that, and messing with that, the foundations of society crumble. Do you know the prodigal son story? I'm pretty obsessed with it. I mention it at least every other week from up here. You know, have you guys ever heard that? Okay. My question this morning is, what would have happened to the sons without the father? I know. The young son would have never encountered life-altering love, and he would have stayed a slave in a distant country. Or worse, he would have come home and stayed a slave. That's what would have happened. What would have happened if the older son never encountered the father in the prodigal son story? I think I know. The older son would have never had his shame-based, works-oriented view of belonging confronted and confounded with the father's heart. That's what would have happened. He would have stayed in the field watching the celebration thinking that he's right instead of being invited in to the father's celebration. The father celebrates when, when, uh, when sons come home. Pharisees criticized from the field. That's what would have happened. And this is, fathers are a display of this heart to the world. Proverbs 17, chapter 17, verse 6 says this, grandchildren are the crown of the aged. Grandparents, if you've got grandchildren, count yourself blessed. Even if they're crazy, all right? You can always hand them over to mom, 
All right, and then head for the hills, but at least feed them sugar and introduce them to caffeinated beverages while you've got them, right? Just have a good time. They're like a crown on your head. There's honor to you. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged. Listen, and the glory of children is their father's. Now, the word glory here is, is synonymous for beauty. The beauty of children, we can read this very biblically, the beauty of children is their fathers. But it's estimated that 54% of Americans come from a fatherless home. And of those 46% that remain, that's not, those statistics aren't even speaking to, of that 46% of the homes that have an emotionally disengaged or Pharisee for a father. A Pharisaical father is almost worse than one that's not even around. Because the one that's not around, you can actually hold hopes high saying, if my dad was here, he would love me. But one that's actually in the home and speaks rejection and shame, and shame that's, that's double trouble. We have so many arguments about what's wrong with the world. This is it. This is it. A fatherless generation is a generation losing its glory. A fatherless generation is a generation losing its beauty, and to remove fathers from a generation is to remove joy from that generation, is to remove beauty from that generation, is to remove glory from that generation, is to to remove the, the, the heart of heaven from a people. Dads, you're important, and moms, you're important too. Moms operate in the heart of the father and their nurture and their care and their wild lionessness. You know, women are probably better hunters. When you watch African lions, it's the big daddy lions that are uh, lazing around in the shade, and it's the mamas that are like, I'm hungry for meat. So, So women, just because you operate in the nurturing heart of God, don't think for a second that you're not wild at heart. You show, you show the world the heart of the Father as well. I was watching an old World War II war movie not long ago, and uh, I started crying, of course. Bad. Because I remembered that, first of all, anything with loyalty, man, anything with loyalty in it, man, that's heavenly. And I want me some of that. Not, I'm not really used to that on levels. You know, Mike Corson, man, he's about as loyal as they come. But loyalty, man, gets me good. We're not leaving you dead on the battlefield. We're risking our lives to haul you out. I like that. But uh, this old war movie, it made me think of my granddad Herndon, who is a Marine and fought in the Pacific. He stormed the beaches of Okinawa. But I never knew him. I wanted to hear his war stories. I wanted him to speak over me and into me. And so I was met with longing, and then I, think, I thought of my, my granddad on my mom's side, Charles Walker, who was a, uh, an attorney in Atlanta. And he was in World War II as well, positioned in Australia in the Navy on a battleship. I didn't know him either. In fact, when my parents got, uh, well, after my parents got divorced and my mom married this farmer who beat her severely and we ran from him, my granddad moved up from Atlanta, bought a house, said, I want to be your father. Then he kicked us out of that house and moved back. 
You know that? <laughs> I don't know what that little girl said back there, but that seemed right on. <laughs> this is, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of father wounds here, guys. But I saw myself wanting to know the men in my life. I, I, have, I have three great uncles that also fought in World War II, and I want to hear their war stories. I want to hear about a generation who went before me and operated in an otherworldly courage and bled together and died together, and I want that imparted and instilled in me. But when you take that away and you say, I don't talk about that anymore, and you don't, you don't see your grandchildren as a crown, you see them as a bother. There's some glory robbing that happens. John the Baptist's ministry, Jesus says of John the Baptist that no greater person ever walked the face of the earth than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's ministry was to prepare the way of the Lord for the Messiah, to announce his coming, to take hills and make them street paths, to prepare, make a beautiful way for the Messiah to come. And do you know, what his, his, uh, do you know how, how his birth was announced by the angels? In Luke chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. How so? How so? Well, he would go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. That's how so. But we don't talk like this. We toss out Romans roads, but we miss dads. We, 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 we toss out programs, but we miss heart of God. And then there's a prophetic declaration hundreds of years prior to the angelic announcement in Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, prophesying the coming forerunner, prophesying uh, John the Baptist, and it says this, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, but we don't talk about this. It's not practical. Dads are busy. Dads have jobs. Dads need their time. Dads gone fishing. Dads out golfing. Where's dad? Who knows? Who in the world knows where dad is? Oh, dad's in the basement. Don't bother him. Angry daddy. He's working on his crafts. Oh. But I think that God wants to use the church to raise up spiritual parents. Spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers who actually look on a, on a younger generation and see a hope-filled future rather than succumbing to whatever this world says about young people in generation Y or X or whatever we're in. I don't even care. I don't like to label generations what the world does. I like to speak to generations the heart of the Father. So I want to talk about just for the next few moments what fathers actually do for a generation and this is why I had you put your finger in the book of Matthew, chapter 3, starting with verse 17. I want to give you a little context for this, though. This is the baptism of Jesus. And Jesus is about to be baptized by his forerunner, John the Baptist. And Jesus is about to step into his ministry. And so when you look at Matthew, chapter 3, actually, um, let me start in verse 16, Okay. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God, capital S, this is God the Holy Spirit, descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Now look at verse 17. 
So the, you see the Trinity here. The, the God the Son is being baptized. God the Spirit is descending. God the Father is speaking. Okay? This is, this is Trinity. This is how he works. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Now I think we should take great note at the time that the Father's voice actually echoes through the earth. And we should weigh heavily the content of what the Father is speaking, right? Now, when, you, when I look at this, here's what I'm seeing, is that in the Father's voice, you, you see that, the, that when you see the Father speaking over the life of his son, you, you see this beautiful truth ringing out that what fathers are called to do for their sons and daughters. And here's the first thing that I, I want you to hear. It's actually the first thing in three pieces, that fathers actually bestow blessings on their children. Here specifically, we see that fathers bestow belonging, fathers bestow value, and fathers bestow identity on their children. Now look at this. Here's how I get that. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved. This one's mine. Here's what sons and daughters need to hear from their fathers and mothers. That you're mine. I see you in the crowd. I told you last week how we lost my daughter in a huge uh, arcade. I promise you, I scanned through hundreds of children, and I know how to see who's mine. And I didn't see her. And that's what got me going. I want you to hear that you're not lost in the crowd if you belong to the Father. He sees you, and actually what he does, he speaks into you because of the righteousness, the right standing that his son has given to you through faith. Now what God sees you, he doesn't see you as a, uh, as, as a sinner anymore. He sees you as the righteousness of his son, and now he can say, that one's mine. That one's mine. I belong. That one's mine. She belongs. This one's with me. Who gets to hop in daddy's minivan? I do. I'm his. Well, the father would probably drive like a Ford Raptor. I know, but whatever, right? Right? Let's be biblical here. Okay? Please. Yeah, with big all-terrain wheels and whatnot, big lights on the front. He'd be a wild, wild driver. But, but this is, this is the, the father, when the father looks at you with gospel lenses on, what he says is he bestows belonging on you. And if you feel like you're watching from the outside, it's easy to get on the inside because you have to do nothing except receive what the father has given through the son and faith. It is not, you don't have to work your way inside. You don't have to hold a sign up and jump crazily. Remember there was a blind man named Bartimaeus who's on the side of the road and he's blind and he can't see Jesus, but he hears Jesus is passing by and he just raises his voice. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And guess what? He did. He did. The enemy loves to tell us that we don't belong when we do. You don't belong in the family. You're a slave. I guess, oh, I, got, I guess I got to create a life and use terminology that, where I talk about myself as a slave so I can feel like I belong. But slaves don't. Sons do. 
Fathers bestow belonging, speak belonging, but fathers also bestow value. Fathers bestow value. The father says to the son, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved son. This is not a son that I've just let in because I felt sorry for him. I wanted the boy. I want. I want. This one's valuable to me. This one's mine. This one is the apple of my eye. Parents. (laughs) Come on, parents. What good parent here, though you're not even perfect yet here, would actually look on your children and not want them even in their darkest moment? And Father who's perfect doesn't look on you with disgust when you're his. He wants you. He wants you. This is what fathers do to a generation. It comes from the father's heart. And then fathers bestow identity on their children. And man, this is one that we miss royally today because we live in a society where you get to say, I am who I say I am. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you are who I've created you to be, the father says. The father is your maker. And the clay doesn't say to the potter, here's what I am. No. The father speaks identity. Now, this is very gigantic. I don't know if, you know, six weeks ago I I talked about there's a whole movement now where there's some people, there's like 25-year-old people that actually think they're infants and they wear diapers and and you have to change them. And the kind of society we're in is you just have to let them be who they are. No, that's bondage. God doesn't want 25-year-olds living as infants. He wants them living as free men and women changing the world, yo. So this is, this is, I'm not okay with this. God made us human beings. Every human being is stamped with the image of the Father. And so it's not okay if you actually think you're a human inside of the soul of a cat. (laughs) Which people actually believe. And in our society, if you don't treat that image-bearing woman like a cat, you get in trouble. And I'm not calling for us to, like, like attack them verbally. I, they've never encountered otherworldly love of the Father, obviously. I'm, I'm asking you to love people, not pick it at their whatevers. Wow, guys. See, if identity is not bestowed, it will be sought. Every person is wondering who I am. Who who am I? And what fathers do and what the father does is the father tells us exactly who we are. You are my beloved son. So when my daughter Grace was beating boys in races twice her age. For real. Yeah, go girl, come on. In flip-flops, you know what I'm saying? And she comes, and she, and she, this didn't happen, but imagine, let's say she comes up to me and says, Dad, I'm really fast. You know, I'm, I'm nine, and I just beat a 14-year-old boy in a race. Maybe I'm actually a boy. Oh, honey, you get your mad speed from Daddy. Come here, come here, come here, get over here. You are so fast. Give me a smooch. I kiss her on the head. 
Oh, you're wearing flip-flops. Good job. Oh, look, the boy's crying. <laughs> oh, and he's so good. But listen, listen, you're just a fast girl. Daddy, nope, you're not a boy. You're a girl. You're a girl. Okay, come on, girl. You're a girl. When 54% of fathers aren't in the home to say that, there's a lot of confusion. Maybe I'm a cat. Maybe I'm a boy. Maybe I'm a girl. I, I'm not sure because I need dad to tell me. If identity is not bestowed, it will be sought and defined on our own. Or the group that actually gives you a second-rate love, but where you seem accepted in, will tell you who you are. And you'll believe them if the father's voice isn't present. Um, I, I tell you every week how good my son is at basketball, all right? Duke called him when Zion was injured. <laughs> Put on the shoes, Zion Williamson's shoes just broke. We need you, we need you. See, he wishes. But I had to have a conversation with Ethan where right now his biggest dream is, you know, going as far as he can in basketball. And I had to have a conversation with Ethan, my son, where I, I really just said in plain words, I will love you and be proud of you no matter what you do. Do you know why? Because you're my boy. And you don't have to be a Division I basketball player. I don't even care if you quit right now. I, I'm not living my dreams through you, buddy. I, I, I want you to, if, if you encounter the Father's heart and have your life so changed that you wildly serve God as a librarian, I'm going to be so stoked about you, son. This is Lena, my, my youngest daughter. She's six. She dresses up for me almost every day. And she, she poses. And I don't know how, and they're not like nice poses. They're like, they're like at least PG-13. <laughs> What's your mother teaching you? Like, Ah, ah. But I don't, I don't act ashamed, okay? I, I, I just like, I go, wow, honey. Oh, you are so beautiful. Get down here. Because lots of times she poses from the top step while I'm staring at, hey, dad, look at this. <laughs> wow. And she's, she, she does herself all up. And they say, you smell like mommy. That's because I drank her perfume. Oh, I see. <laughs> I see now, honey. Yes, yes. You're so, you're so sweet. But this is her, this is, listen, listen, listen. This is not her wanting to be like the world. This is at her asking her dad who she is. And when dads get scared of that and say, where did you learn that? Turn MTV off. We, what's MTV? Because oh. the new thing is YouTube, guys, all right? When we get scared of that and we start attacking them for where they learned instead of answering the question of who they are, we make a egregious mistake, spiritually speaking. This is my beloved son. With him, I am well pleased. The well pleased part is a beautiful part. It shows us what fathers do in a generation. It shows us that, that fathers not only bestow things on a generation, like acceptance, like identity, but fathers also, it also shows what a father does to eliminate in a, in a generation, and fathers eliminate shame. 
well, how could the father not be pleased with the son? Well, you know what? The son knew that, and the father still spoke it. I just want to make sure you know, boy, that I'm well pleased with you. This is how a father talks. I am pleased with you. I'm not ashamed of you. I'm pleased with you. I'm not ashamed of you. I don't necessarily always agree with you, but I'm always happy to be your dad. I'm not going to rule your life with shame. Do you know that shame, especially in men, but for everybody, women, you know how, to, how shame assaults your soul. But as a man, I also know how shame assaults the soul of a man. And this is why in Ephesians chapter 5, when it's talking about the power of a good marriage, the the biblical mandate is husbands love your wives because that's how God's fashioned a wife to respond to the father's heart. And it says, wives, respect your husband. Do you know why? Because that's the currency of the father's heart and the wiring of a man. A man would rather be respected than loved. You know that? That's just the statistics lining up with the scriptures. So when you you try to make your dad, when you try to make your husband, or when you try to make somebody that you lead ashamed of what they've done by rubbing their nose in their mess, like we treat dogs, it assaults a man's soul. If you try to make a man feel bad enough to change, they'll lose their heart on the journey. So the fathers come along and say, I'm going to inspire your heart with a new kingdom, with a new love, with the supernatural otherworldly power that I've given you through the cross. I'm drawing you and wooing you and calling you and beckoning you, not shaming you in. Interesting, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 14 says, I, this, is, this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. The Apostle Paul, I do not write these things to make you ashamed. Really? (laughs) That's not what my tradition taught me. Let's read that again then. Let's stop translating the scriptures from our former tradition and let's read the Bible. I do not write these things to make you ashamed but to admonish you as my beloved children. Then he goes on to say, be imitators of me. Be imitators of me. Can I toss this out? That the apostle Paul is not leading the church like a CEO. He's leading the church like a dad. Can I toss that one out? That he doesn't see himself as an executive in a big organization. He sees himself as as a father after his heavenly father, and that's why he can say, imitate my life. I want you in, I I sit at Jesus' feet every morning, and I think that you could get something from following me. Oh, so it's not arrogance, it's intimacy. Wow. Paul's not leading like a CEO, he's leading like a papa. Like a big daddy, like a father. Listen to this one. Fathers are an encounter with the father. 1 Corinthians 4. 16, be imitators of me. Dads, moms, here's the most important thing that you can do with your life is be so wrecked by the Father. Be so consumed with his nature 
be so surrendered and changed that you begin to be more like Jesus. And then when your kids encounter you, they're encountering a taste of the Father. That needs to be your main goal in life. Who cares if you make a a quarter of a million dollars a year and you drive whatever you want, you vacation wherever you want to go, if all you are is a striving slave? It doesn't matter. It's better to be poor with the heart of the Father than rich and out of the kingdom. Make it your, your greatest ambition in life to be an encounter. And where everybody that runs into you is actually encountering heaven because of you. This is not a distraction from Jesus. This is an exaltation of him. This is not arrogance. This is not pride. This is kingdom living. To daily encounter the Father's heart. To daily encounter Holy Spirit. To daily encounter Jesus as a greater treasure than everything else. To be able to say with Paul in Philippians chapter 3, everything else in this life is rubbish compared to knowing this man that I know. Oh, man. You become an encounter. This is my greatest treasure. And I would say if you don't know what to do here, start with repentance. Start with repentance. The father doesn't necessarily repent because he's perfect, but he's humble at heart. And many times we hold on to, we hold on to our repentance because we don't want to just humiliate ourselves and tell our children that we are wrong, but that would be the best thing for them. It's interesting, I, I sinned against Ethan by yelling at him out of anger instead of the father's heart not long ago, and so I wrote him a letter tear-stained, wrote it. I want, you to, I want you to smell me on this boy, which is not hard to do. And I gave it to him. I put it on his desk, and I said, Ethan, I, I wrote a note for you. And he, uh, he read it, and I didn't hear anything of it until I ran out of deodorant and went into his room, went to his deodorant stash. And there's the, the father's letter, my letter to my boy. I'm sorry. Sorry, he's holding it as a treasure. Deodorant, and for a 12-year-old boy, that's, that's a treasure, man. <laughs> Deodorant and dad's love letter of repentance. See, fathers, what fathers bring to a generation is the father's heart. What fathers, what fathers do to a generation is they actually supply strength. It's like when you're a father, spiritually speaking, people don't run from you, they run to you. So can you stand with me in this? Can you stand with me? Can you help me? Right? Do you know people that uh, when, you're, uh, when you're in a bad situation, you're, I was in a really bad situation once uh, on the scene of a suicide, and Calvin Brain was standing right next to me. <sighs> Just kind of breathe a little, because Calvin's here. This is what dads do. They supply strength to every situation that they step into. They don't have to know everything, but they sure do supply the strength of the Father. Real, can I say, real men give strength. They don't steal strength. They don't, they don't uh, narcissistically suck the strength out of other people to make themselves strong. They give strength so other people can be better than them and rise up. And they celebrate when their sons and daughters are excelling and being used in ways that they only dreamed of in their life. 
And they don't take that as a threat. They take that as a victory. Um, 1 Corinthians, listen to this. 1 Corinthians, I'm so messed up here that I, I forgot 1 Corinthians is not in the Old Testament. That's it, that's in the New. Um, here we go. I usually have this stuff here, but you need to hear this. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, starting with verse 13. Listen to this. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do, do be done in love. Be strong. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. The Father's heart is full of love. Therefore, it's very strong. Very strong. And so real men, real fathers, bring strength in. Do you know that I'll say this too, that women don't feel squelched around real men. They find their voice around real men. Husbands are excited to champion giftedness in their wives. I have this vision for, for Providence um, that uh, we would be a church where if you're part of the Providence family, um, your sons and daughters have a time in their life, like a time where they actually remember, like a, a defining moment in their life when they were marked, where they stepped out of, out of childhood into adulthood. And that's one of the big things that our culture is missing right now. There's, there's not a, a rite of passage, so to speak, where boys know when they're men. They're just always wondering, wow. And so when they buy their first car, maybe they're a man. When they, you know, sleep with their first woman, maybe they're a man. When they whatever. And guys, you know, I said that because it's real, right? Right? So, uh, and then the same thing with, with, with women. Just, when, when am I an adult? And biblically speaking, the, I think one generation needs to tell the next generation when they are an adult. And so I'm, I'm excited to, in the future, begin initiating sons and daughters into manhood and womanhood. And praying about, God, what does that look like at Providence? I know that one thing that it looks like is, is that we're fathers, physical fathers, and spiritual fathers uh, gather around sons and, and, and communicate to them, you're strong, we're proud of you, you have what it takes. Hold this sword. It's dangerous. Well, you're a man now. Um, we're boys, and maybe you're not even sons yet, spiritually. But sometimes the first step is telling a boy when he's a man. Welcome to manhood. And the same thing with, with uh, fathers to daughters and mothers to daughters. Um, that you, you, the fathers need to speak this into their daughters who are becoming women. That you are lovely. You are worth pursuing. You're valuable. Don't ever feel so small that you give your heart away to something or someone second rate. And I, I believe that kind of my entrance into manhood actually happened for me as a 29-year-old. It was a divine appointment. Do you know that about the first five years at Providence, I worked as an electrician on the side? Not that I am one. You know, you have to have very gracious, grace-filled electricians that just give me a job and just like let me blow things up, you know? You know, and a, a man named Dean Marcinetti taught me enough to learn a few skills that I would be, you know, marketable to other electricians. And then there, a man named Dave Ehrman just said, hey, Nathan, 
I love what you're doing at Providence. I'll give you two days of work a week. And I used to ride around in this guy's van with him and do what we called electric work. And I remember this one van ride, Dave speaks to me, and he says, Nathan, I just want you to know that I respect you as a man. You're a good man. I love what you're doing. You've stood up against opposition. You've operated in courage. You're gifted, but it hasn't gone to your head. He's saying these things to me, and he's speaking into me. And he basically said, welcome to the club, buddy. I recognize you not as a boy, but a man. There's something powerful in that, guys. When we speak this to, the, to those that God's put a, 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 us in their lives, to, to parent, maybe it's our physical kids, but the beautiful thing about the church is if over half of society, coming from families that don't have fathers, there needs to be spiritual fathers and mothers rising up and doing this kind of thing for a generation. Now here's a really beautiful thing. Is that some of you are here And you know that deep in the caverns of your soul, as much as you know about the Bible, as many sermons as you've ever listened to, you know that you know that you know that you're just the product of your denomination. You you just know things about God, but when it comes to who you really are, spiritually speaking, you're, you're an orphan still, outside of the kingdom. You're still a slave. You're still trying to be good enough for God. Where the blazing reality of the gospel is that God wasn't waiting you to, for you to come to him. God sought after you. He sent his son into your world. If you only know a religion where you've had to try hard, but you've never been found, I want to tell you that this morning there's fantastic news for you because there's a father who wants you. There's a father who's after you. There's a father who wants to speak the real identity into your life. There's a father who wants to show you uh, something better than a second-rate love life. There's a father who wants to speak, you're lovely and you're valuable, you're made in my image, and I don't need you, but I want you. I want you. You're wanted. I want you, son. I want you, daughter. This morning, I, I want to invite you to sonship and daughtership. I want to invite you to do something more than just pray a sinner's prayer, but I want you to invite you into the family. I want to invite you into adoption. And I want to invite you into an identity that says I'm not an orphan anymore. I'm a prince or princess in the king's courts. I want to invite you into the family of God. And here's the great thing. You don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to do anything. God's not looking for a production. God's not impressed with your stuff. He's impressed with him. God's just impressed with who he is. All right? All right? We're a chip off the old block. He's the block. We're a chip. All right? He's, he just has an endless ocean of affection and love and belonging for you. That's what he's got. The gospel is not that you get to heaven by operating in righteous works. The gospel is that you get God by faith and adoption as sons and daughters. And the fruit of, that, of real sonship is going to be righteous works. Just changed heart. Changed living. Psalm 27, verse 10. 
for my father and my mother have forsaken me. Some of us know the pain of that. Father wounds, mother wounds, divorce, remarriage, divorce again, remarriage, abandonment. And some of you are holding on to stuff that my own parents don't care. How could God? Well, let me tell you how. He's better than them. Way. He's just way better than them. They did their best. They did their best. And God did his. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord. Whenever you see in the Bible, L-O-R-D in all caps, that's Yahweh. It's the holiest name for God. The scribes of the Old Testament wouldn't even, they'd leave the the vowels out when they're writing this word, Y-H-W-H, all caps. They'd clean their pen before and after writing it because God's big and awesome. And this big, awesome God takes me Well, my parents don't. Takes me into a new and better kingdom. The earthly family that you've got is just a shadow of the great one. And any love that you experience in it, it's just a little window into heaven. So praise God for great fathers and mothers. But praise God for a, a, a father who never fails us and takes us. I wonder how many of us that you, you have only known a religion where you call yourself a slave and you've never known sonship or daughtership through faith in Jesus. I wonder how many of you could just kind of put your hands up like this. If you want to be a son and a daughter in the kingdom, you want to give everything you've got, all your heart, all your desires, all your future, all your past, all your everything. If, if you want to stop trying uh, out of penance, to pay for your own sins, but you want to receive the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ that the Father would bountifully usher and bestow on us. You just want that. I would just put your hands in receiving posture, open wide your hearts, and say, God, you can have all of me now. All of me now. Heavenly Father, thanks. Thanks that you come after us. Thanks that you want us. Thanks that you love us, God. Thanks for all the things that you're doing in this generation. We refuse to believe anything other than God's on the move like he's always been. And we don't live in hopeless days. We we live in hope-filled days. And we stand on the promises and on the scripture and on your word and on the gospel of Jesus Christ that will call us sons and daughters, not slaves and orphans. So I just pray you would just work this into us, God. Work this into us. Just pray we'd feast on this. Pray that we'd drink this in. Pray, God, that you would, you would change us. God, this is ground-taking. We recognize that we're taking ground from the enemy. And this is a very religious area, God. And so we're just taking ground that's been steeped in religion. And religion has to be buried. And new life has to be ushered in. So we just want to operate in this new life. Sons and daughters in the kingdom of God, forgiven, saved, free, free. God bless your people this day. Touch them so much. With all all of your goodness, God, may your goodness run after them today. Run after them. And may they have eyes to see it, I pray. We bless you. We praise you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, guys. um, We're just going to.